Today's verse comes from Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 through 16. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. Before I begin, I just wanted to remind everybody that we have a congregational vote downstairs after our service. So I want to invite everybody to go downstairs right after our service to vote and to reaffirm the vote that we had for our two elders, Sung Kim and Jubin Kim, and our two deacons for James Kim and Priscilla Kwok. And then afterwards, please come back up, and we have refreshments, and then we can have some fellowship afterward. We also have a new members class that's starting next week, so if you haven't signed up and you want to be a member of this congregation, please do sign up in the back. I think there's a sign-up sheet, or otherwise come talk to me, and we'll start our class next week. Um, It's just a four-week class. You get introduced to a church, the doctrines that we believe in and why we are doing what we are doing, the vision and the mission of our church. And then I get to get to know you. And hopefully, um, you know, we get to spend some time together and you get to know me. Our sermon series has been on Genesis, and I have three points today. And the three points are offering, passion, and destiny. Offering, passion, and destiny. But before we get to the three points The passage here starts off with a little backdrop. The backdrop is so interesting. Backdrop is only two verses. But it's a foreshadowing, some people say, of what's going to happen in the future between Jacob and Esau. Uh, There's a theme of primogeniture that comes throughout this Bible and how God is not for it, 
primogeniture meaning uh, the love or the favoring of your firstborn. Eve, after giving birth to Cain, is delighted. She's happy. So happy that she actually also writes a similar poem like Adam did when he first saw Eve. And she sings a short song, but it is a song. And Cain kind of sounds like the word brought forth or acquired. It's when you really get something that you wanted and then you acquire it. That's what Cain kind of sounds like. But not only did she say, I got it. Finally, I've got it. But she says, I brought forth. In the NIV, it says, a man. It could be translated, the man as well. In the ESV, it's translated just as man. And it's the same word that Adam used in his poem to Eve, saying, out of man, woman. And I, I, I think I explained this, Is and Isa, right? And then... Um, a lot of times it's like that, maybe, maybe. A lot of times, maybe, we've experienced this as well. You put your hopes and dreams on your son as a mother, and you hope he is everything your husband is not. You know, the interesting part, and it's not, it's not written directly in here, but there's a lot of inferences that we can gain from the narrative. And, you know, it was Adam's curse to work and till the ground. And out of painful toil, they were supposed to eat. But when it comes time for the offering, where's Adam's? You know, what happens if you are married? And a lot of you are. Not, not most of you, but a lot of you are. And you're married, and you work hard all day. And you come home, and your husband's just watching TV. It might get a little infuriating after a while. But what would happen if you come home after working all day and your husband's watching TV and you catch your son doing the exact same thing? You see, when the curse was given and Eve's curse was given, God says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. This word desire is not just for, but it can also be used against and also both. For and against. So in a lot of ways, we've heard the saying, can't live with you and can't live without you. That might have been more appropriate for a woman to say, especially in this context. But one thing is for sure, she loves Cain. And she has brought forth something that she loves. And when Abel is born, he is referred to as Cain's brother, not just Abel. So it's in the perspective of Cain, Abel. And then Abel, Cain's brother, right? Cain, if it meant, I got it, acquired, Abel, literally means vapor or nothingness. It almost seems like Abel is an afterthought. This is the backdrop. And I get to my first point, offering. You know, there was no drama until God accepted Abel's offering 
and rejected Cain's offering. God is a God who chooses to accept and reject. And one thing that we have to understand here is that the worshiper and the offering are inseparable. You can't separate the two. When God accepts Abel's offering, we see there is a lifting up, a literal word, lifting up of Abel. In verse 7, when God is asking why Cain's face is so down or downcast, and that if he does good, won't he be accepted? That word accepted also is to lift up. There is a direct correlation and contrast between acceptance and lifting up and rejection and being downcast. But why was Abel's offering accepted and Cain's not? I'll give you some, some, some theories that people have been talking about and why it's wrong, but some people think that Cain's offering wasn't accepted because it wasn't a blood offering. Just like, you know, we grew up in the church, oh, there needed to be a blood offering. Well, not really. The actual word for offering, tribute, was mincha. And that Hebrew word offering is used in other places like a tribute of cereal or grain. And it was a bloodless sacrifice. So it's not because... Abel's had blood, which God really wanted, and he just didn't tell Cain and Abel. Psych. You know, that kind of thing. It wasn't like that. John Calvin makes the case that according to Hebrews 11.4, that it was a faith issue. Abel's offering was in faith and Cain's was not. And while this is true, yes, this is also true, but I honestly think it only gets you halfway because it doesn't engage the text directly. And it, doesn't, it means that if you only read Genesis and the Old Testament at the time and Hebrews weren't written yet, that means you had no idea why. But if you read the text carefully, it says Cain brought fruits. And quite literally, there's no the fruits. It's just Cain brought some fruits. There's no indication that he brought anything special from the harvest. He just brought some fruits from the harvest. While Abel, you see here, is painstakingly preparing his offering. He takes the most precious of his flock. And from that, he takes the most precious portion of that. And he offers it up. You know, we can get lost in the nuances here, perhaps. Um, perhaps it's like me now. I, I go to this restaurant on exit, I think, 35 on 80. It's called Pub 199 to get, like, their clams and stuff. And sometimes I order the steak. And the steak here, I shouldn't have said the name, but I don't like the steak there. It has this big wad of fat. It's so thick. It's like a centimeter thick. I kid you not. And so I cut it off, and I put it on the side. And, like, these days, we don't appreciate fat as much but even one generation before fat was precious, my dad would tell me about a story where all they could afford was fat. So they would go to the butcher saying, do you have any fat left? And they would purchase the fat, they put it in water, and they'd make a broth. And it was so precious to them that even when my family gathers together, they talk about how precious that fat broth was. And they would eat all their food and some of them would eat their broth last. 
And one of my aunts was known to actually hide her broth under the table so no one would take her broth. And it was precious to them. But even going further back, you know, animals and meat were a precious commodity. And fat wasn't something that was so easily accessible. But you can use it for so many things to cook and to clean with. And it was precious. And Abel takes the most precious portion of what he has received and lifts it up to the Lord. Why is this important? Once again, I want to remind you that the worshiper and the offering are inseparable. Why is this important? Because offering represents the superiority and rule of the receiver. Offering, your offering, represents the superiority and the rule of who you give it to. That's why we give tithes. That's why we give first fruit offerings. These offerings are acknowledging that God is the supplier and the provider of all the good things I have received. And yes, how you give and what you give show who you believe in is God. Do your offerings show your acknowledgement that God is God? That he is the creator of all things, master of your household, family, and this church? Or does it show that you are God? I'm used to being in the center. My mom raves over me. I am the center of this family, and I want to keep it that way. So offering time is an afterthought. Here's $1 for you, God, because really, I just don't want to look foolish while everybody's giving offerings. So I'm going to put this dollar here, put it in an envelope while the basket is being passed around. How you give, what you give, shows who you think is God. Who is God? You know, that's where our source comes from. Our source, we confess. I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. He is my source. So when I prepare an offering, it's with Him in mind. It's with God in mind. That's why I set aside from my harvest. And these days we could translate it to paycheck or your revenue or whatever, your harvest or if you're a farmer, sure. But that's why we set aside, we claim that God is God. But what happens when that starts to change and we are convinced that he is not, that my needs matter more, that I have to look out for myself. Well, the second point is passion. We are creatures of passion. We are passionate beings, aren't we? Especially when we fall in love. Oh man, poems come out and I didn't know I was a poet. I was like, oh, you're so beautiful. I just want to sing a song. This passion is dictated by whom we worship. We are passionate creatures, but that passion is shaped 
by who we worship? Is it God? Shapes our passions and desires. If it's not God, is it me? That will also shape our passions and desires. So God warns Cain in advance because God is good. And he says, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. That word desire is the same Hebrew word about what I just spoke in Genesis 3.16. Your desire shall be for your husband. Remember I said it's for and against, but it's the same word. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it because now this passion translated to anger and Cain's anger was shaped by who he worshipped. Behavioral scientists are trying to find out what gets you addicted, what gets you hooked, what gets you really mesmerized, and it, it's kind of working. When you see an episode of your favorite TV show, they end with a cliffhanger. Why? Because that gets you really upset. It gets you so upset, but you have to watch the next episode, right? So two things that they believe that can be manipulated, that can get you addicted, is love and anger. You fall in love with a character. You fall in love with something about something. Or something just makes you so angry. Look at every K-drama cast out there. Either you love the character or you hate the character with all of your guts. There's no in-between. Look at the video games that are out there. You love it when you acquire some kind of special item or you do some kind of special feat. But if you can't, you rage. Look at the reality TV programs and how they shape even their characters. Spoiler alert that is that reality TV isn't reality and they talk to the characters in the cast before and say you should act like this. And some of these characters in these reality TV programs get you so upset. And some of them you just hope will win. Oh, she's such a good singer. I can't believe she's only 14. I hope she wins. Look at our election. Once I get you to love or be so angry, I got you. You're addicted. And what happens when you're addicted and I got you? You can be manipulated. Think about it. Think about where your passions are being manipulated to right now. Because if you don't do this or if you don't do that, it's the end of the world. It's the end of our nation. It's the end of our church. It's the end of our family. It's over. So you have to do this. You have to do that. And these ill passions will lead to death in a blink of an eye. You won't even have time to see it coming. 
If you're not paying attention, you could have even missed this part right here because as famous as this story is for murder, the actual murder only takes one verse. One verse, all this happens. He's like, oh, let's go to Popeye's or something. And then he smacks him over the head with a huge drumstick and Abel's dead. But you see, most of this passage isn't focused on the backdrop, the offering, or even the murder. What is it focused on? It's focused on the destiny. You know, we could look into the narratives and see where all the nuances lie. You can take all these things out and that teaches us about humanity. Sure, there's so much truth in this passage alone. But most of this passage is focused on destiny and ironically we are not supposed to relate to Abel Abel is like his namesake just a mist he vanishes he's there for a few few verses and he's gone and ironically the murderer fears being murdered again we saw sin And when sin comes into place, there is hiding. And this time Cain tries to hide his true feelings from God. When God says, what is this that you have done? He goes, I don't know. With sin, there is continued anger and blame. And he goes, am I my brother's keeper? Again, this is reminiscent of Adam when he tries to displace responsibility. The absurdity of this question is only logical to the one asking. You know how absurd it is to say, am I my brother's keeper? Who else is closer than a brother? But he is already in a place that is so far from God and so far from logic. There is self-pity. Instead of repentance, Cain fears everything else. He fears his physical situation, his social standing, but not the God who created him. It is in this state of still complete self-absorption that Cain asks for mercy and God gives it to him. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And it doesn't just end there. Paul continues to write, So that, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through, our, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Cain has been given a mark. And that mark shows that, first of all, murder does not solve murder. More killing doesn't help those that have already been killed. But that mark shows both guilt and grace. On one hand, everyone knows that Cain is a murderer. And on the other hand, people know that he is protected by God. You know, humankind, we have walked between these two lines until Jesus came. 
and he took the mark of guilt upon himself so that we can fully receive the mark of grace. And that's why even the guilty are met with surprising grace because Jesus became the ultimate offering for us. Jesus is the one who gives us a new destiny. We have been given incredible grace. My brothers, my sisters. And now we in this new destiny, just as Ephesians 3 says, we are meant to be dispensaries of that grace. We need to give that grace out to others. How much have you been forgiven? You also forgive. This isn't a wish, it's a command. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You see, Jesus has changed our destiny. Because we've been given this grace, we have the ability to also give that grace to others. That's the call of our church. Don't you see? We are the people that are manipulated. We are the people that get angry so easily. We are that person whose passions we cannot control and we end up being a murderer. But Jesus saves us from that destiny. And now our destiny is in Jesus' hands. Pray with me, brothers and sisters. Is there still a place in your heart where you have to offer it up to the Lord? Have you been still keeping something behind? Or do you now realize that we can't be people who just offer up to God minimum? No matter where your heart is, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart and asking to come in and be Lord of your life. Let's take this time to pray. God, we are here before you in admittance that we are the same people that when something goes wrong, our first instinct is to blame, is to say it's because of these people we are in this situation. It's because of this party we are in this shambles. But Lord God, we are here to turn back to you saying that Lord you are truly our source you are the giver of life we want our core and our center to be right first and foremost we ask God that you would reign over our lives and be Lord and King of our hearts and we thank you Lord God because we didn't deserve it, 
but you gave us surprising and incredible grace. We give you praise now. In Jesus' name I pray.